going to resume our, what I've called our sort of helicopter ride over the letters of the New Testament. I've explained my sort of way of going about it. Uh, I'm indebted to the, the writings of a biblical commentator called Warren Wearsby, who's with the Lord for several years now, but he produced a series of simple and accessible Bible commentaries called the B series. And I've been uh, stealing his title for each of the letters that we've looked at so far. So far we've covered Romans, which was B right, 1 Corinthians B wise, 2 Corinthians B encouraged, Galatians B free, Ephesians B rich, and Philippians be joyful. And those titles really do capture the essence of the letter, the, the central message. So what we're going to do this morning is we're coming to Colossians. And the title that Wearsby has given to it is Be Complete. Be Complete. Now, the other thing that I do is in his commentary, he has he selects a key text, a key verse in the letter which really encapsulates the central message. And sometimes I think he got it right on and at other times I dare to differ and suggest. And this morning is actually one of them. And it's quite surprising that he didn't go for this verse because it clearly informs the choice of title that he has for the letter. So if you would turn to Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, you will, uh, you will find what I think is the key verse, and it's actually a key verse and a bit, in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This is what Paul writes. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Some of the older versions will just say and in Christ you are complete. You lack nothing. You have everything. Now if that's the verse that I'm choosing, what was it that Brother Wearsby chose as the central message? And I get it. Go to chapter 1, verse 18, which comes in that passage that's called the Christ hymn in the letter. He says in verse 18, speaking about the Lord Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, let's reach a compromise. Let's take Brother Wearsby's key text and take my key text, because if you put those two verses together, you get what Colossians is all about. The supremacy 
and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The one who is supreme over everything and the one in whom believers are made complete, who, in whom we receive everything that we could ever need or want. Now those verses that I selected, chapter 2, verse 9, and the first part of verse 10, if you're reading the letter, by the way, it'll take you 10 minutes to read Colossians. If you're reading the letter, you'll notice that that key statement comes hard on the heels of a warning statement. The warning statement is in chapter 2, verse 8. Let me read it to you. Because this verse brings you into the situation on the ground in the church at Colossae and what was troubling the believers there. Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, clearly there was false teaching, false teachers and false teaching in and around the church at Colossae. It was a concern. Now, Bible commentators have never been able, with their knowledge of, of history and early church, they've never been able to put a distinctive label, name, as to what this false teaching was. But through reading the letter, you can see scattered about hints of what went into this false teaching. What it was that the guys were actually trying to draw the believers away with. You, you, you get references to what would be called mysticism. You know, this sort of very exalted, ecstatic sort of spiritual encounter. You read about the veneration of angels. 2,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun. You read about receiving visions that angels are instrumental in and in, in, in uncovering things that you, you couldn't possibly know. That's another strand in this, this superior knowledge that these false teachers can bring you into, that you Christians haven't got. There are several references in the letter to, again, another term, asceticism. This sort of strict handling of your body. You'll get references to uh, specific dietary rules. You know, don't be touching that, don't taste that. Don't Fasting. It's referred to as well, which is also part of sort of coming into these ecstatic visions. Observance of certain days, new moons, feast days, Sabbaths. 
You see, whilst the commentators haven't been able to, to, you know, look at church history and go, oh, that is called such and such. The thing that comes out, the distinctive of this teaching on the ground at Colossae is this. Here's the message. What you believers in Christ have is not enough. That's basically it. It needs supplemented. Notice that they didn't say turn away from Christ. That would have been too full frontal attack. Believers would have, you know, they wouldn't entertain that at all. You know, your Christ, that's dead on. That sort of, that's your entry level stuff. Great. But whoa. There's more for you to access and for you to come into possession of. If only you will follow this path. These rules, these practices, they're going to bring you into a fuller spiritual experience. Sign up to our advanced program and then you'll really experience spiritual freedom. Fullness and freedom. That's what the heretics at Colossae were offering the believers. Fullness and freedom. We've been thinking about freedom already today. And Paul will have none of it. And he, he blows it out of the water with his letter. And his message is this. Understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you will see what these guys are spouting is nothing but devilish deception. <laughs> to be in relationship with Christ, who is, chapter one, he's the very image of the invisible God. He is the one who's the firstborn over all creation. It's his. It's his by right. He's the owner of it. Not only that, he's the source of it. He's the designer of it. He's the agent through whom all creation came into being. He sustains it and he's the goal of it. It's for him. And not only that, not only does Jesus Christ sit in that position in respect of all this creation, he's also the head, the source, and the goal of the new creation. To have Christ is to have everything. And to be in relationship with Christ is to have the victory over all spiritual powers. Call them what you like. 
Because he's the head over every power. Colossians 2 verse 10. They owe their existence to him. Not only that, but he spoiled and made a spectacle, an open spectacle of hostile spiritual powers through his cross and resurrection. And chapter 1 verse 13, believers, he's already delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. What has anyone got to offer you if you've got Christ? If you think there's something there, you don't know who Christ is. And you don't understand what he's done and what he's brought you into. So what is, if, if Paul is in this letter exposing this counterfeit spirituality and pathway it can use whatever language it's like it can borrow concepts it can twist them it still happens but if Christ is not at the center of Christ is not the foundation of it all but he exposes that but what's the true pathway to spiritual progress and development well I'm going to give you another couple of verses these are verses that I, when someone's getting baptized at the start of their Christian life and experience and they're looking at the rest of their life, these are great verses to memorize. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Here's the true pathway to spiritual progress. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you have been taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Just in the way at your conversion, you received Christ as Lord as your only hope, as your everything that's how you go forward in the Christian life. Look no further than Jesus Christ. Beware of the lure of spiritual shortcuts, brothers and sisters. Promises of breakthroughs deliverances, second blessings, new encounters where you receive in such a way that you just move to a higher level. Paul thinks that in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you already have everything that you need. To make spiritual progress. All the resources are present. The moment you receive Christ. You do not need to look anywhere else. But how does it happen? 
How does it happen then if we have, through being in relationship with Christ, if we are complete in him, how is it that we move forward and and actually grow and develop in our life in this world? How is it that real change comes into our lives? Well, the answer that Paul gives in Colossians to that is the answer that is given everywhere else in the New Testament. Let me show you uh, the hinge passage in the letter. I love a good hinge passage where Paul moves from, he's been mapping out what it is to be in relationship with Christ. And then he turns and he goes, right, how does this truth actually impact you? How does it produce change in us? Colossians 3, the first, let's read the first four verses, noting noting the first phrase then in verse 5. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What Paul is saying is this. Realize the basis of your life with Christ. What you are in him. The old you is dead. You've been raised already. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So get your heart fixed on that. Get your mind fixed on that reality. And verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And so he will continue for the next chapter and a half, saying, look, put off the old you. Put to death the old you. Put on the new you in Christ. Lay hold with your heart and mind what it is to be alive in relationship with Jesus Christ. No shortcuts. No zap. No secret techniques. No elusive key to higher knowledge. No avoiding the cost of real, steady, ongoing change. I don't know how many people I have spoken to over the years who have looked for some sort of breakthrough and they've gone to somebody and they've talked to somebody and for a week they're they're walking on air and on the eighth day they gotta get up out of bed And they've got to realize that their life is secure with Christ and God. And they've just got to put the truth to work. Beware the shortcuts. How does Paul hope to see real change come into the lives of the Colossians? Well, one of the distinctives of Colossians is 
that it contains one of Paul's prison prayers. There's four letters that were written at this time of confinement for the apostle. Ephesians and Philippians that we've looked at already. Colossians and also Philemon, the, the, the personal letter. But there's four prison prayers. Two common Ephesians, one in Philippians, one in Colossians. And I'm going to read you. This is how Paul expects believers to make progress. Colossians 1 verse 9. This is a prayer report in a sense. He tells them how he's been praying for them. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, now listen, where's the shortcuts here? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may bounce around the place on a spiritual high. Have great endurance and patience. And giving thanks, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I think it was when we were doing Ephesians, I showed you the Bible that Michelle gave me on my 18th birthday, which is 40 years ago now. And uh, the reason I showed you it was the first ever Bible book that I studied seriously was Ephesians. And I have the outline, Wearsby's outline of Ephesians stuck in that Bible. Well, when it comes to Colossians, I think it was one of the first sermons I ever preached so that's going back nearly 40 years. It was this prayer. And I looked at it the other day and I went, well, will it, will it stand the test of time? And though the language is maybe a wee bit different, I had six points. And I'll just share them with you and ask you maybe to think about this as you, as you look at that prayer. Paul prayed this, that believers would be bountiful in our understanding, that we would be faithful in our walk, Fruitful in our work. We've lost it. Powerful in our stand. Joyful in our attitude. And thankful in our hearts. Every one of those is just based on the text. Um, years ago, also standing in this very place, I might add, at this, uh, every, we would do children's talks. And we had a bit of a joke in our sort of family circle um, where inevitably gaffes would be made. And so a little book was compiled every time a gaff happened. I once, my best one was boys and girls when I was a boy and girl. <laughs> uh, which, um, but uh, I have to say, 
Bobby, Michelle's dad, he definitely secured the greatest number of entries. And he was doing a children's talk, and it was uh, about Christmas cards. And I think it was a bit of a polemic against cards of Santa and all that stuff. And he had made a Christmas card with scripture all over it, etc. And he came to the punchline, and he got a bit, bit sort of mixed up. And he said, you know, boys and girls, these is what the Christmas cards we should have. <laughs> well, to this day, it doesn't matter what we're doing. I mean, you could bite into a burger and we'll go to each other, you know, these is what the burgers we should have. Well, can I tell you guys, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 14, these is what the prayers we should have. Praying that for one another. It would revolutionize our prayer meetings. It's often pointed out. How often is Paul praying for health and for employment and for all those things? But he's praying for spiritual progress. These are what the prayers we should have in Castle Ray Fellowship. One, one thing just to leave you with, it's a distinctive off the Colossian letter. When you come to the end of it, for such a short letter, there's actually quite a long section in which Paul just rhymes off a few names of individuals or groups. There's actually 12 different uh, people or groups mentioned from chapter 4 verse 7 to the end and when I speak on that passage I, I call it group photo group photo because it is basically Paul's sort of missionary band are assembled in the the final greetings being passed on and there's a few names in there that are sort of you know they're, they're familiar there are a few familiar faces there's Onesimus is mentioned, who is Philemon's runaway slave, and who actually would have gone with Titicus, this letter being brought back to Colossae. There's Mark, John Mark, who famously did a bunk on the first missionary journey, and here he is years later, and he's back with the team. There's Luke, and it's only because we have this reference that we know that Luke was a medical doctor, and I'm sure he had his work cut out. That would be like being Nigel's personal physician. <laughs> Think of all that Paul went through. It would be a fraction of what Nigel has encountered. But there's some other names that we wouldn't be so familiar with. I just mentioned in there Tychicus. He's the messenger of several of Paul's letters. What a debt we owe that man. The, the hundreds of miles he traveled. Aristarchus. You've maybe not even heard that name before. Get a concordance and put his name in. A faithful companion of the Apostle Paul. On so many of his journeys. I look forward to meeting them. Jesus Justice. Do you know what we know about Jesus' justice? 
absolutely nothing other than the fact that his name is in the scriptures as a companion of Paul. He'll have a story to tell us. But there's one name, there's one face on that group photo that when I see it in my mind, the hairs go up on my arm. Demas. Demas. Philemon is a, is a companion letter. They, they went together. Paul calls Demas in Philemon my fellow worker. Fellow worker. But when we come to Paul's final letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, Demas pops up again. Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Just think about that. Think how close to the flame of God working Demas was. Think of what he saw God do in Christ. And yet... There was something in this world that captured his heart. And he deserted Paul to go and pursue that. Guard your heart. Let's not play spiritual games in our lives. If this shows us anything, it shows us this. The world can swallow anyone up. To have been with Paul for years. And he was still able to walk away. What's the protection? What an awful note to end on. What's the protection? You're back to Colossians 2 verse 6 and 7. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Stick close to Christ because in him you are complete. He is supreme. He is sufficient. In him you have fullness and you have true freedom. Pursue Christ, brothers and sisters. Not anything in this world. Pursue Christ. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.